feel free to wander, feel free to curse. They're an uncut. Oh, the idea is really great, to have a conversation great. as much as possible. Oh, excellent. Like actual human beings. I know it's a crazy yeah. concept. I like the sound of that. Hi, it's David Poland, and this is the audio version of the P30. Today, Jay Roach, director of Bombshell. Hope you enjoy. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for the interest. Do you enjoy this kind of, have you ever enjoyed this kind of thing? You know, I'm, I don't resent it. I actually, I, I, it's easy to be cynical about it because uh, you're selling a movie and you're out talking about, um, I don't know, talking about your story in a way that's meant to invite people in. But I, in this thing, I, I think in this story, it's actually interesting, the story beyond the story. We, we screen the movie a lot and have a lot of conversations after as we're in post-production. Mm-hmm. I always run my own discussions because I, I, don't, I just want to ask people to be really honest and tell, no, really tell us what is confusing, what uh, could, could uh, make more sense if we just focus on this, or where, where you're lost on the tone, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, I really enjoy the conversation, and, and in particular because it's talking about how to figure out how to just be better at making, you know, a workplace is safe for women. Just that simple. Like it, this, how can a movie contribute to that? And as we're talking about it with our audiences, is this movie contributing it? Is it is it adding anything to the conversation? So now, in talking about it in the in this this part of the of the release pattern, it's actually just feels like a continuation of that. We've had so many great screenings where. We've had long conversations even after we finished the film, mm-hmm. just in Santa Barbara the other day or in you know, San Rafael the night before, where incredibly interesting and compelling and emotional uh, discussions have occurred. So it doesn't feel like we're working it. It feels like we're just talking about what we've mm-hmm. been talking about for two years, and that's really interesting. So where did you start with it? Charlize sent me the script uh, in February 2018, Charles had written it, uh, you know, about, he'd finished about six months before, a few months before. He actually Mm -hmm. finished it before the Harvey Weinstein news broke, which is interesting because the story takes place a year before that. He pitches the story after Roger's fired, gets set up and commissioned to write it, and then delivers it before. And then I get it after a lot of the sort of avalanche of revelations have come out. And I'm instantly like, oh, I want to, I want to be involved in anything that's that's about this stuff. And then to have Charlize uh, be bringing it to me originally just as a friend to give notes, and mm-hmm. I said, you, I, as a friend, I just said, yeah, you should do this because this might open up the conversation past the normal political divides of progressive and conservative, and these are women in a conservative organization. Who, some of whom didn't think of themselves as feminists at all, <laughs> taking on one of the most powerful, most conservative men ever. W- women who are conservative might be more interested in this topic mm. because Megyn Kelly and Gretchen Carlson, people they followed on the news, are involved, where they might not have tuned in if it was you know somebody uh, that they, they didn't know, someone on the left. So I just thought it was a real opportunity to open up the conversation to um, mm. to a wider audience. It feels like you have not been uh, working as much as you were a little bit earlier. Is that Was that a choice, or was that just getting caught up on development? Or? Um, that's a, you know, that's an embarrassing question, because I, did, I never thought about that. No, but it's, I, I don't think, I think I'm working all the time. I'm like, wow, you're right. I haven't, I haven't had the output of one film a year uh, the, the past few years. That's a good observation. I... Um, I don't know if it's just that I got lazy or I, I've actually, 
I have been a little more um, selective. You know, um, there there was a time when I was doing comedies where the sequels there would be a release date even before we started. You know, so it wasn't like I had a choice in the schedule. Right. And so now I I, I do choose. I try to choose really carefully about what I'm going to invest a year, a year and a half, two years into. And that has slowed me down a little bit. Um, I've, I've, yeah, just you know, uh, been picky. And uh, I hope, I hope that I, I do. I, I mean, it's funny that I instantly got defensive about it because I'm like, yeah, I don't think I work hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting because you, you, you kind of came to us in this wave of these kind of very broader, broader comedies. Yeah, and then you got more political. Yeah, and then yeah. you kind of then the role started slowing a little bit, even though you were still developing and, and delivering stuff that made an impact on the culture yeah. each time more than the comedies, mm-hmm. the broader mm-hmm. comedies mm-hmm. had. So it's interesting. Well, I I wonder how much impact they have. I, I try to make films about things I'm worried about. And when I stumble onto a script that's or, or in some cases like in Game Change, when I actively uh, pursued that story, even from the mm-hmm. moment she was announced I was pitching to HBO we should be in those rooms even before I knew there was a book Game Change mm-hmm. the book they got later or maybe they had it long, somewhere in long but I didn't right. know they had it um, but it's it's really always about wow I can't figure out why this is so dysfunctional why is this not working better what's going on in our government or our culture that um, that is so upsetting and frustrating mm-hmm. and so in a way it's a coping strategy for me to try to go deep into the issue ask questions that I'm really curious about and see if maybe along the way I can also share some of that you know uh, revelation that I'm undergoing you know some of that some of that um, education that I'm experiencing and some of the hopefully some of the sense of the predicament and suspense and you know, you get great actors who deliver great performances to mm-hmm. say, hey, we're, we're going to talk about this and, and maybe what seems like a, a serious way. But if I get a really great cast, maybe I can make it kind of compelling and, and interesting and engaging at the same time. Well, I still, whenever I see Nicole Wallace, can't really tell between her and the real life version <laughs> and your version of and her. Sarah Paulson's <laughs> and Sarah Paulson's portrait. amazing yeah. performance, yes. I'm so proud of that film and what Sarah did to to... Tell, tell uh, Nicole Wallace's story and what Woody did to tell uh, Steve Schmidt's story, and you know that those were really powerful stories to me because I, you know, I I was related with someone thinking, oh, Sarah Palin would be a good idea just from a, as a campaign, imagining myself as a campaign operative, like mm-hmm. to help save John McCain's, you know, uh, candidacy to bring her in seemed like a good idea, and then whoa, she doesn't really seemed prepared for this how are we going to handle that that just seemed like again a great predicament and this story I had a similar uh, feeling when I remembered seeing Megyn Kelly take on Donald Trump in those primaries in 2015 and going Mm. wow he's their new ratings cash cow he's like a big sensation for Fox News and for Rupert Murdoch and Roger Ailes and she's going to bring up these horrible things he has said about women like one after the other out loud and make him answer for them in a debate who's that's like those are people all in the same world uh clashing at a a, a titanic level you know like they're gonna there's gonna be some serious issues here and i wondered what it was like in those rooms when they were trying to decide who to get behind in that Mm -hmm. fight he attacks her relentlessly you know blood coming out of her wherever she's so angry she's and she's their rock star so 
they have to pick a side. They're not mm-hmm. going to get away with. And so that was. I remembered wondering about that, and then I was at the GOP convention the next year researching for the HBO story that we want mm-hmm. to someday tell when it finally settles down about Trump. And I was there when Roger got fired, and that also seemed like, wow, how does that even, how do those women take that guy down? How does that mm-hmm. work? You know, So uh, it's always just answering questions that are so uh, compelling to me that makes me want to keep telling these kinds of stories. So you started as a writer more in your yeah. career more than as a director i really started as a cameraman before anything i i went to film school to be a a, a documentary cinematographer and then i got the bug at usc um in grad school to start directing and i did i did so direct. you really wanted to be a documentary cinematographer? yeah, you were yeah specific I, about it? I was pre-law at stanford and i i started taking still photographs and then i there was a great documentary department there a guy named john else was a really famous DP for mm. did a lot of great films Day After Trinity and California Reich which is a really uh, interesting film about the Nazi party in California anyway they, there was all these documentarians at Stanford mm-hmm. and I I started shooting stills and I thought well you can you know you can moving images are, are really important too so I shot a few little films little documentaries while I was there I stayed a couple years working on a TV little educational TV network and kept shooting applied to USC to go into cinematography mm-hmm was a TA for cinematography, ended up teaching cinematography at USC for about seven years part-time off and on, while I'm also now got the directing bug and training myself to write as a writing assistant. So for 10 years after I graduated from SC, I'm doing all of those things, and then I meet Mike Myers, and that's the beginning of a, an unexpected... I did write screenplays in that phase. Uh, right. you know, during that 10 years, I started getting work writing. I was never a great writer, I, I'll be honest. I, I never wrote well enough to satisfy myself so when I got to start working with great writers and help them tell their stories I, I, I thought well this is this is going to work a lot better so Mike seems like a completely wrong fit with you logically he, on the surface <laughs> uh yeah I wasn't funny I was <laughs> Bob Shea at New Line at the time says who are you you're not funny <laughs> you've got no track record we're not just going to hire Mike's buddy but Mike and I had bonded over serious issues. We talked a tremendous amount about uh, World War II history, of all mm-hmm. things, because I did know a lot about that, and I had studied it for a project. And, and we talked, we got to know each other over serious things, and then we, he started realizing that I really love Monty Python and, and uh, English comedians generally, and he sent me that script, much like Charlize did. sent me the script, said, hey, could you give me some notes? I... Gave him a bunch of notes, and this is you know the same thing happened with Charlize, just as a friend giving notes. And then Mike said, "Wow, these notes are really good." And I said, "That's great." He goes, "Could you help me find a director?" Which I worked on for a, several weeks, looking at commercial reels, and I found a guy, and I love this guy. He goes, "Yeah, I put you up for the job." <laughs> and I was like, "What are you talking about?" Because I just didn't think of myself as a, I don't know, I just didn't think of myself as a comedic person. And um, so then I fell in love with the, trying to make people laugh and, and really enjoyed that for a long time and I still do I, I, if I find the right comedy I, people always ask would you I'm like yeah definitely if I found a great story I'd love to go back and do comedy well your dramas all have comedy in them as well I mean if they're not I try because you know people cope with horrible things by joking their way out of them sometimes you know by dark awareness of, uh, awareness of the dark ironies and the absurdities and the lunacies and 
if you worked at Fox News and you couldn't find anything weirdly funny about how bizarre that or any newsroom is, but mm -hmm. Fox in particular, the way Kate McKinnon finds when she's describing what it's like to do a Fox story to Margot Robbie. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you would could call yourself sane, you know, like I, I think we all cope with even horrible things. And I just thought it would be fake. I always think it's fake to me to be so self-serious and so um, relentlessly preachy about something just seems almost inappropriate. Like it just wouldn't be authentic. So I try to uh, most of the people that I know have been through hard stuff, their strength is in their ability to find ironies. That's how you show a person, mm -hmm. a character that they're human you know uh, we i think we we trust each other when we get a joke from each other and that's partly what happens when Kate, when margot robbie's character shows up at fox and she needs a, a kind of coach she knows she can trust kate mckinnon because kate mckinnon has a sense of humor and that's a that's like oh mm. you we're we're on the same wavelength you can't joke about anything unless you're connecting in some empathetic way so that was a that was a very deliberate thing to show. Oh, these two women are going to have a connection. So when they when Margot starts getting harassed and she comes back to her friend and says, "I need to tell you what happened," and sh she can't listen to her and says, right. "I actually don't tell me because that's no. part of the code of secrecy around here and it's too crazy." It's so heartbreaking that women can't talk to each other about what's going on. That's what's going on in the elevator too. Three, that's the only time all three women and uh, three leads are in the same place. Mm -hmm. They can't even speak. There's no dialogue because they don't trust each other. So humor is a way to show trust early on and then the tragedy of broken trust because of this cult kind of mentality that's imposed on them. Like, don't talk to each other because, you know, I have a secret about you and I'll mess with you if you out me. And well, it's interesting that Megan in the story, Charlie's character, doesn't have a sense of humor at all. She's very dry... <laughs> She's Very pretty, you know, she, I, business I, think, oriented. I think she has a sense of humor the way Megan, real Megan Kelly has a sense of humor, which is best shown in that scene when uh, the, the Rob Delaney character, I love the cautionary tale of a complicit, passive man who's saying, hey, can't we just all kind of ignore this for now? And so we can keep, and she says, are you insane? Like, you, you, you know, he said, well, there's a hotline you can call. And she says, hotline? give me a break. It's like having a, a suggestion box in the occupied Paris. And she goes on this long rant about mm -hmm. the insanity of what he just said. And you go, you go, okay, she's, she's pretty badass about that particular topic and yeah. even has a sense of, of kind of wit in there. And so it's actually one of the scenes I think you kind of go, okay, well, maybe I, maybe there's more to Megan Kelly than, than I realized. So it's one of the things to me that's fascinating about the performance in that, having watched it a few times, uh, that it, it, it finally, I think in the third viewing, hit me that how, what she was doing, what Mar yep. Charlize was doing mm, with mm. the character and how much Charlize she had taken out of it since she's kind of goofy or can yeah. be. She, likes, she has a real sense of humor. Yeah. And she just so dry and so, the jaw is so tight <laughs> and the, bringing the voice down, the whole thing is uh, kind of fascinating. Yeah. And it doesn't, you don't really, you're so busy watching her look like Megan a bit yeah, that you kind of forget that it's Charlize and she's really doing this very complex performance. Absolutely. I mean, the makeup gets a lot of attention. The audience yeah. really likes to focus on the match, but it's, you're right. It's the, it's the attitude. It's the, the, the body language, the sound, the, the focus on what matters to Megan Kelly, you know, as opposed to what matters to Charlize Theron. Right. And 
and though a really important overlap of what matters to both of them, which is this is bullshit. <laughs> we, we're going we're gonna to take this on. We may not be able to write this second. I'm not sure when the right time to take it on, as Megyn Kelly is saying to herself. And Charlize has said that, that there is overlap uh, to the extent of a woman who dares be that strong and ha- has, quote-unquote, sharp elbows, which is something people would say about Megyn Kelly, is, is not something that would be said about a man right. doing the exact same thing. And that, that Charlie's, yeah, that, yeah, exactly. Like, oh, he's, yeah, let's get Joe him. He seems like he's confident. Big, big he's, scary, yeah, yeah, he's he's comfortable in his own skin, or whatever the the version would be for a man. And Charlize is strong, and she is sometimes accused of being forceful, more forceful than than she would if she was a man. And she got that overlap, and she got that that they shared those issues. And I said, well, that's, you know, that's I'm glad you he committed to the look, but. Yeah. That's what is going to make people care about it. You're going to reveal all these layers under what Megyn Kelly, uh, you know, her outward persona, the, the, the way she's covered and, and presents herself, too. But there's, there's a, a lot more going on. I think that's what audiences will respond to once they, if they're lured in by the match, you know, in the mm-hmm. teaser trailer, in the elevator, whatever, that once they get in, they'll see, oh, wow, that's to all, all these women, all the characters in the movie have so much more going on than you would have potentially guessed, especially if you're prejudiced about Fox News. Well, it's a very clean script in terms of the three actresses, the three lead actresses, I guess. And, you know, uh, Nicole is um, Gretchen, I think kind of almost gets short shrift because she's the ac- the person who takes action. Yeah. And yet she's doesn't really... I mean, there's no effort by Nicole to be likable or to be yeah. more accessible or anything else. She's very straightforward also. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know... Uh, uh, Margot is kind of goofy in her character and is mm-hmm. charming and lovely in many ways and much more emotional. And, mm-hmm. um, but I think Nicole as as it gives an amazing performance that yeah. almost gets missed because it's so dry in a way yeah. and, and so subtle and fearless, so- sophisticated too. No, yeah. absolutely. And I'm so glad you brought that up because I feel the same way. I'm surprised she's not getting noticed more because what Gretchen did was. Also, the underdog story. She jumps off a cliff with no hope of success. This is a year before the Me Too support system kicked in. She's got none of that, you know. And she's willing to take on this powerful dude, and she's going to lose everything. She's going to, by suing him, she never gets to work in broadcasting again. So I found her story incredibly compelling. We didn't have access to a lot of the details. Megan had written a book about what she went through. Mm-hmm. Gretchen had an NDA, so couldn't really talk about it too much. So Nicole actually pushed us to speculate a little more based on the lawsuit, that, you know, all the details of the lawsuit, based on mm-hmm. things that we'd heard about her, and shoot more scenes. So we, we added scenes, and, and I was so glad she had that instinct. The scene where she says, I jumped off a cliff and all these women aren't going to back me up, and yeah, I'm not going to call Megan because she wouldn't call me because Roger pits us out to get... That we shot quite late in the process, even in post-production. We had only one day of additional photography, and that was a Nicole-inspired scene. So she's so sophisticated. The other scene that always blew my mind, and we shot it really early, was the scene where Kayla walks in and says she's going to go work for Bill O'Reilly and she goes listen I can help you I can and she goes into this intimate private thing with Margo and she's like and Margo's going I'm, I don't need your help I'm kind of fine on my own mm-hmm. and that and the, the, the kind of 
compelling desperation of Gretchen to just get any support because she's losing power, you know, because mm-hmm. Rogers demoted her and treating her like shit. And she's, and she, I, that was just Nicole's choice. I didn't mm-hmm. tell, I didn't suggest she do that. I didn't know it was coming. I was so glad the microphone was close enough to catch that whisper <laughs> because that, I was just like, oh, that is, that's an amazing actor and an incredible situation with another amazing actor you know that's yeah that's one of the great things about uh, and i promise them i'm going to surround you with the very best you're going to be in every scene with and we we got you amazing know, we got lucky how, how we got such a great cast all that all those cameos are breathtaking uh one after the other and i i, I wonder how many people recognize a lot of those actors <laughs> but I, I recognize them all yeah um, great richard kind richard kind comes Kime. on well actually richard hasn't seen the movie yet I saw him a few days ago. Oh, is that right? And he hasn't seen the movie, and he's like, how am I? How am I? I'm like, you're great. He goes, really? He's so great. I think he he saw some of it because he he did some of the the ADR with me, but yeah, Yeah. he hasn't seen the whole film. He wanted to to do something that didn't get done or something. Who knew Rudy Giuliani was... Gonna, gonna be, be such on a everybody's mind all the time right that's now. That's a movie. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, all yeah. Movie. Oh, believe me, that's. But every time you think that's the movie, yeah, about the Trump world, something else even more crazy goes on. So you you yeah. you you're obsolete by the time you thought of it. Don Johnson's gonna be a great Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna be a good movie. Oh too. my God! Yeah, that's a, <laughs> what a dark tale. Yeah. So the other thing, the other person who I think is kind of getting short shrift in the conversation about the movie, uh, and I do think in a weird way. Is this in some ways the center of the movie? John is John Lithgow, yeah, who's yeah, I think absolutely brilliant uh, in this yeah. character, yeah, and he brings the ambivalence that I think is frustrates some people watching this movie because they don't feel it's dogmatic enough, I guess, that it actually has some balance to it, yeah. But you, he creates a character who is horrible, and yet you do yeah. care about him. You know, I got criticized by some on the left for humanizing Sarah Palin, <laughs> and. <laughs> Humanizing Roger Ailes uh, evidently is, you know, not not demonizing everybody there as a group, you know, evidently is is not strong enough for some people. But that's the whole point of if you if you can't try to understand how these people become who they are and what how how they operate when they're in these situations, mm-hmm. how would we ever I don't know, how could we ever try to be agents of change or so for me, um his choice to and John's such a kind person in real life. His choice to have access to to to, the re, to let some of that show the warmth and the we heard from so many people who worked with Roger on the right and the left that he was an extremely charismatic, funny, obviously something of a wizard in marketing. You know, because mm-hmm. he could market news to the level that Fox got to, but much he would be much more terrifying and monstrous. Once you revealed what a predator he was and what a bully he was, if you got all those layers, he, he, if he mm-hmm. sneaks up on you that way, it's much more dangerous than someone who's easy to read as a monster all the time. Mm-hmm. That scene with Kayla when he, when he harasses her in the – spoiler alert, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a dark, horrible scene, but it starts off so jovially, you know, and so uh, – He's laughing at her jokes. She's laughing at his jokes. She's very impressive. He's he's uh, bringing out the best in her, which he was good at doing, evidently. And then he flips the switch on her and and begins to put her in such a humiliating, horrible, soul-crushing situation and gets her to cross a line she never would have imagined crossing. And now they have a secret, and he's got her in his clutches. And 
none of that would be nearly as terrifying, at least to me, if he uh, if he hadn't chosen to start off in that warm place and then sneak up and and behave so horribly to her. When John is so capable of chewing scenery, that the subtlety of the character, even with the makeup and everything else, is yeah. It's a kind of happy surprise. Well, that's not. It's very underneath. I never underneath. see him that way. I, I guess I worked with him on a comedy, uh, The Campaign. He played a mm-hmm. kind of Koch Brothers-esque character. And I've, I've known about him for so long. I've, I remember seeing him in Garp, you know, uh, World According to Garp many years ago. And I just, yeah, he's he can be as big as he needs right. to be. But he can be very, very subtle. When he's in that scene with Margot, there's very little dialogue yeah. in the whole second half. He's doing it all with this... The stare and the breathing and the breathing is really is really, the breathing is really disturbing. Is, yeah, yeah. I was in that room, right? You know, in that other on that third camera, and, and uh, I was just so kind of disturbed and repulsed and ang- you know upset and empathetic with what she was going through. And the two of them together, just his and his creepiness, and then tilting up the reveal. Oh, she now knows she's. She's crossed into that world, that netherworld now, and she can't get out, you know, uh, safely. That's that was John. That's John putting that on her. That was all, lo- you know. That's basically. We didn't do many takes. We kept that whole scene just the way we shot it. We hardly edited, except to just change the angles. That all the cameras are rolling all the time. They were both on all the time, and that's one actor putting that kind of pressure on another and having her just be so tapped into her character that she would react. that That's one of the most compelling things I've ever been involved with, uh, shooting that scene. And your choice as a director in terms of how you shot that? Because it is there's that line that you're crossing as an audience also that's uncomfortable yeah. through the whole thing and the tension well, of it. that's a good... That was a, we talked a lot about it. Like, how, when is it... Uh, just disturbing and we can't not show how humiliating it was by ha- by showing her lifting her skirt and when is it some kind of you know ex- exploitation of its own from within the scene and we tried different levels of of uh how graphic the portrayal was and mm-hmm. I, I felt like as long as we got that this is what it felt like to be her in this situation this is how vulnerable and exposed uh, you know, she's. We're not showing any more than a swimsuit would show, but mm-hmm. we're showing the humiliation because it's really about power. He's. It's a little bit about sex, but it's about this guy expecting loyalty, and you must pledge allegiance to me. And in this case, show me loyalty by actually giving me sexual favors mm-hmm. is a, is about crushing her, it, and it's that evil. He wants to destroy her ego to serve his, and that's just. That's what it's about, and as long I knew, as long as we were serving that central principle of what that scene was all about, that I felt like it was the right amount of, of graphic. Well, I think in that scene, I also think about what he's thinking or feeling, and what yeah. I mean, because with the stories about Harvey and they're you know they're so specific and yeah. weird, um, you know, masturbating into bushes and things <laughs> that you kind of wonder what the you know you, you watching him watch her. Is what is it besides just that, impa- yeah. just the power? There's also is that sexual gratification you can see it in his eyes. Yeah, and but it's not obviously it's not sex at that point. It's just it's some weird the overlap, power of isn't that it? Moment. Yeah. yeah, it's almost like the it's almost like an, a sexual satisfaction from having the power. Mm-hmm. Like they're they actually are not separate things. They're that he gets off. Uh, he's aroused by his control of her. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I guess almost like an, uh, an S&M thing or a bondage and discipline thing or whatever. Like there's, there are other things about sexuality in the world that we don't, yeah. you know, we may or may not understand. And I don't understand the sexual part of it. But I understand at least that, that that would be arousing. But because how how could you, how is that, how could that be sexy to force a woman I don't know. I that I, I honestly that I, I try to understand it, but I don't. I don't even can't even quite yeah. empathize with it, much less obviously sympathize. Well, with it's self loathing keeps on coming yeah. up throughout the story. And and so yeah, you and he played that. He he revealed to me that when she sits back down, he goes to this place of remorse because mm-hmm. in a way, at least as he was performing it. And he's like a little friendlier and like, look, okay, you did that. And we've now we've settled that now you're in my clutches, but I'm going to just be nice to you for a minute. And you have a nice body. And John said he played that from a place of realizing that this is partly a compulsion and that he has a slight sense of regret that he's put her through that. He, for a second, he sees her as a young woman again, who is talented and has a life force that he's just crushed a bit of. Mm. I was like, wow, that is that is good. That's good thinking as an actor to to show that level. Um, so he did, that's John. I mean, he's just mm-hmm. a master, and, and it and Margot's mastery. The two. That's one of the most. Again, it's one of the. I don't know if I'll ever get to do a scene that is so emotional uh, for me. For me, I mean, just for mm-hmm. me. And I hope the audience will find it the same the same level of compelling. So you're showing the film to people getting seen yeah what would be the best thing somebody could say to you after the movie what would be it's you what know, would you want to hear I, I have i've heard it a few times uh, and it's it, so far the most um like oh i'm so glad you said that is men coming up and saying i thought i understood a little bit about this but mm-hmm. i now having seen this realize i don't i don't know anything and yet i i feel like i know a little more about what it's like but it's completely eye-opening and, and transformational. And if, when a man comes up and says that, and if, and you can tell it's almost confessional because I felt that way too. I thought I knew, I, I thought I understood these issues, but especially when you think of the character that that um, uh, Mar- uh, excuse me, um, Rob Delaney plays, the Gill character that's the producer, and mm-hmm. that temptation to just kind of go along and get along, and that 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 cautionary tale that men can see. I don't want to be that person anymore. I don't, I might, I won't, I now feel like I might know enough to give a woman the benefit of the doubt and to, to not be passively part of the problem mm-hmm. for a man to come up and say that after a screening, which has happened many times already. That's, that feels like, okay, this, this is a worthwhile conversation. Thanks for your time. Appreciate thank you, man. Thank, thank you, you so movie. much. What a, what a great chance Appreciate to talk it. to you. I've been reading your stuff for a long oh, time. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you. you so much. Yeah. Actually, just this morning, I'm going to do a whole thing on Twitter about uh, worst.